doing a podcast that uh, pertains to hockey specifically in the um, in the late weeks of August. Um, it could be considered a stupid thing, given that there's nothing going on. Hold I mean, on. there's Just almost no I, news. A year ago, Bob, a year ago, we were in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs in August. Well, that's fine, John. That was a, a year pandemic. Ago. Well, we're not in that now. We're what not we in a pandemic? In a more, we're, in, well, we're still in the pandemic, which we're in a more traditional NHL um, schedule. Hopefully. Where uh, almost nothing goes on in August. Everybody's off at the cottage or wherever they are. Yeah. Well, and we already did a hockey show this week, I think. Yes, so, we did it. We, uh, we had the, the uh, very intelligent and erudite Eddie Olchuk on yesterday. That's right. So, you forgot? It was yesterday. No. That was yesterday? Really? <laughs> now you get a little older and you get a little more senile. And okay. The Alzheimer's rears its ugly head. Um, we're going to talk to a target, which is um, a goaltender for those that may not know what a target is. Um, and they're always the most intelligent people um, in, the ho- in the sport of hockey. And um, we picked a pretty good one here. Uh, you know him. He's been on Hockey Night in Canada. He is uh, on his way to a new job in the U.S. We'll talk about that. Kevin Weeks, when we come back after these messages. And we are back. It's McCowan. It's Shannon on the uh, program for yet another day, another 50 cents. Uh, Kevin Weeks joins us uh, from steamy, hot Florida, but it probably isn't much steamier or hotter than it is in Toronto right now. How you doing? Everything okay? Good morning. Yeah, no, everything's great. Hope you guys are doing well, too. Uh, everything is good. Hope all the listeners are healthy and safe and their family and friends are, are doing well, too. They're, they're waiting for hockey season, but Kevin, I got to tell you, this is, this is one of the shortest off-seasons yeah. in the history of the game. Uh, how, how, how do you manage to decompress and get back up to, to speed when you start something new in the fall? Yeah, great question. I think for us, it, it's about trying to get out and do the things that you want to do, see the people that you want to see as soon as possible. Because sometimes when you have that extended off season, you'll say, "Ah, okay, maybe two weeks from now, maybe three weeks from now, maybe a month from now. And knowing that you have the benefit of time, but this year that hasn't been the case. So um, on both sides of our family, we have a Western side on on Megan's side. That's, that's out in Calgary and throughout Alberta and Whitehorse. And then on my side, they're in Toronto. So uh, she's been to both sides so far. I've only been at home to Toronto, and then hopefully I'll get a chance to, to get out and see her side of the family here out west and then not too distant. And then we're just spending time at her place in Miami. And as you said, it, it literally goes by in the blink of an eye. So between working out, getting prepped for the season and all those things and her working, it's uh, it's been a lot, but it's been fun. It's been restorative, but we're trying to do it all in that shortened window <laughs> for sure. You probably don't know this. I don't think I've mentioned this to you, but uh, or maybe I have, but... Mm-hmm. Um when one of the times or at least one of the times where you put your toronto house up for sale mm-hmm. i actually went and looked at it had no idea it was yours oh no way seriously oh seriously that's yeah. crazy you're telling me this now yeah well <laughs> what? you have big cake why are you telling me this now hold, hold on hold on life. kevin you weren't going to give him a discount no, so. no, no, no. <laughs> hell no he's going to jerk the price up that was what he was going to do <laughs> Uh, but I well, of course you I, you know, I, I walked in, I had no idea it was your place and you didn't right. have a lot of memorabilia or, or, or hardly anything. Uh, right. if I recall, there right. was no way to know that it was your place. And I don't remember the circumstances, probably the agent just mentioned, well, the owner, you know, Kevin Weeks. And I went, wait a sec, hold on. Really? <laughs> I and, can't uh, believe you're sharing this with me now. That's crazy. 
It was we a waited funky two years, two and a half years too long. Yeah, well, it was a funky house. It was uh, it, it, it was really an interesting design. And uh, yeah, we, thank you. we actually seriously considered it. But um, uh, and I don't remember where you were at the time, whether you were in Florida or New York. I yeah. think you were in New York at the time. Yeah, we're, we're probably at our New York place because just as, as you guys would know in the business, rights move and life moves. Consequently, with the TV rights moving. So, yeah, we moved back down to New York and New Jersey and, and our old place in Bayview, just south of 401. We, we'd been there for shoot, 17, 18 years, but logistically, it just it was tough to make sense, more and more sense of it. And as you know, and you guys know all too well, the Toronto real estate market is one of the hottest in the world. Oh, yeah. So we just figured, okay, at this point, we might as well try to cash out and, and reposition some of that stuff back down here in the U.S. since this is where life is now. You mentioned um, uh, you mentioned new job. Um, uh, what what do you expect ESPN to do, and what do you expect to do for ESPN? I think as a whole, the and, and you'd know this, both of you, based on your experience, really about amplifying the game, taking the game to the next level here to the viewing audience. And, and you've said this to me numerous times. A lot of the growth of the game is here in the U.S. and internationally. And we've seen that in terms of more girls and boys. We have the women's worlds going on now, as, as you all know. And of course, the two favorites in Team Canada and Team USA continue to impress to this point the tournament. But we've seen that growth and we're starting to see, for example, uh, girls youth hockey or minor hockey, as we say back home, youth hockey, as we say here, is on the rise. I mean, we're seeing so many more young girls and women uh, playing the game. And then as far as, as the boys into men's hockey, we've seen that huge growth with USA hockey as well. On that side, in terms of all the draftees that we're seeing, um, geographically, we're expanding where kids are playing. And even the adult rec, which is huge too, adult recreational hockey. So this will be a huge hand in that as far as that growth from an ESPN standpoint. I want to be able to take people a little deeper inside of the game. And, and you'd know this from, from your days of producing and, and doing games. Take people a little bit deeper, not just the topsoil, because people have so much access information now. So be able to take them deeper into the game, a little bit more storytelling, uh, and not only for our hardcore hockey fan or, or young player, but more so for even the casual fan that's in their first foray. And then for me specifically, just continuing to serve the game. You know, I echo what Gret says, and all of us owe everything we have to this great sport, us and our families, and, and always wanting to serve the game, serve the player, serve the fan, uh, the corporate partners, and just kind of be a bridge amongst all those things. And uh and John, you know, I always call you the godfather and you've been so, so uh, grateful. I've been so grateful, rather, you've been so generous in a lot of your insights that you've shared with me over the years from when I started till now. So I just try to, I, I try to stay true to the game and stay true to a lot of those, those principles and, uh, and always put the game first. I, I don't know whether I call them insights or just picking up the phone and giving you shit. So. <laughs> 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 it's all, wow it's all in how you receive it it's all in how you receive it so listen as a former goalie coaching is coaching and and you know that it's it's all in the same for me especially when it's in in the right spirit and i know how much you care so, bob so, i get one, yeah. one one quick story bob sure. so kevin and i kevin and i meet for lunch one day uh, yep. out in the beaches uh and we're we're talking about it and we're talking about the you know building the foundation of being a broadcaster and and how you say things and be direct and and you, you know it was a great time we had a good time i i, I could do i could do lunches like that for four or five hours and uh three or four days later i'm driving down the qew listening to all sports radio and kevin's on and he's anything but 
what anything but what we talked about. He was he was using all these colloquial things. He was using every slang in the book. He was it was all just you know token stuff this way, token that way. So so the the interview finishes, and I pick up the phone in the car, yeah. and I and 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 ring Kevin, and I. I don't don't even say hello. I said, "What was that?" <laughs> I said, "You can't." I thought we had a meeting about this. <laughs> and, and Kevin took Kevin took it in, in in stride and understood what I was trying to do. But that's you know, it's there are simple things to make this business simple, yes. and that's what and people don't sometimes don't understand that. Anyway, go ahead, Bob. That well, I don't have anything nice. anything to add other than um, your you know your boundless ego. Uh, which um, oh, has, has resurfaced on. yet again. Oh, 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 hold on, hold on. Hard Just to be humble when you're as great as you are, Shannon. You know. Hold on, hold on. McCowan talking to me about boundless <laughs> ego. That how oh. ironic is that? Well, <laughs> you know, it's the cat, man. You know. <laughs> Let me jump in on that quickly. Let me ju just just to keep it kind of informal. You know what? I in the case of both you guys, for example, you know, Bob, I. I grew up listening to you. You're one of the voices. You you are one of the lead voices in, in sports and entertainment back home for the amazing run. And you continue to be that. You're just doing it in a different format. And then, of course, you know, growing up in Hockey Night and watching Hockey Night in Canada and watching all the games and listening to Fan 590 and hyper-consuming a lot of this stuff, you know, conversationally, and I've always been gifted based on my parents just in terms of being personable and relating to people and being outgoing, but... And then to Godfather's point here about the broadcasting, it was very natural, but I also had to learn a lot of the, the nuances and the details because it was sure. a new career and something that both of you worked in, in in both of your roles and have worked in so long. But in a, in a first foray, I really wanted to improve and be as good as possible and treat this the way I treated playing and realize that this in and of itself is its own, is its own career path. And I've always wanted to respect that. So having that help along the way and still getting that help and being open to that coaching from those of you like yourselves that have been around as long as you have, it only makes you better. I think he's calling us old, Shannon. I think that's really what <laughs> yeah. the essence of that was. Experience, experience, capital E. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, so what do you know what your schedule is going to be like? I mean, um, you know, they don't have, you don't have games. Uh, so have have ESPN talked to you about what kind of routine you'll be you'll be going through? Yeah, so basically, I'm kind of just at the front end of that now, trying to determine what that what that's going to look like. Initially, in our discussions or their talks with my agent Paul Theophanis, it was kind of laid out that I'd be doing studio and doing color for games, and a combination of those and some stuff on Sports Center and different shows across ESPN, which. It would be fun for me because I like that combination of doing studio and games. And one of the things I learned early from, uh, from the likes of yourselves and a Shirelli Najak and, uh, and also Mark Jacobson is try to be in the rink as much as possible mm, yeah. because that's where the details are. That's where the nuances and I'm a natural rink rat. Anybody from back home in Toronto, since I was six, I'm always the guy that's even at the rink with my dad, even when we weren't, when I wasn't playing or my teams weren't playing. So I've tried, I try to, adopt that into the broadcasting so all that to say it's supposed to be a combination of all those things we're just trying to now get a, a handle on what that's going to look like and kind of once my contract with the nhl network is finalized then trying to dovetail both nhl network and espn 
because how, I'll be doing both as of now. How have you managed to do what you're supposed to do when you can't get to the rink the last two years? Uh, well, again, a lot of the sage advice that I've gotten from from you guys work the phones. Yeah. Like work the phone. You you can't be in you can't be in the studio. My parents always say you can't be in the town and the country at the same time. So uh, knowing that, I've always worked the phones a lot since I started broadcasting. Be in touch with trainers, equipment managers, uh, goalie coaches, strength coaches, off season coaches, you name it. Uh, from GMs to owners, just getting agents, just getting as much trusted factual information as possible for the times when I'm not in the arena. And then when you're in the arena, of course, then it's more conversational, right? You see somebody, you go in the, into one of the dressing rooms after the game, or you see somebody in the bowels of the arena or up a press row, and you can exchange information. So uh, I always strive to be as accurate as possible, be as objective as possible, because I know that a lot of the players, their moms, dad, grandmas, siblings, aunts and uncles are watching. I'll never forget what that's like. And you always want to be fair, but be respectful. But I, I strive to just get as much factual information as possible. You know, you said you, you used a word there early on uh, mm -hmm. and the word was trust. How, how, how do you build that trust? I mean, you can be on the phone a lot with people, but mm -hmm. they don't necessarily tell you anything. So <laughs> how, how, how do you build that trust? Well, remember you saying, you're like, well, you have an advantage. You're a former player. Yeah, There's well, that's true. There, and a sisterhood there. And I clearly remember you telling me that I was driving. Uh, I was driving down the DVP back home. And I remember on, being on the phone with you and, and you shared that. And one thing about that is for a lot of people in the business, you know, everybody has their own style and everybody has their own tenor. But for me, I don't, I never want to burn bridges unless you absolutely have to. And in saying that, that's part of the way in which you build trust. And you guys know the majority of the stuff we know, we don't even say on, on any multimedia platform. Like we don't even disclose that. A lot of that we know, we have a good handle on what stays in the vault and what should stay in the vault versus what we can bring forward and, and discuss on any multimedia platform and do it in a way that's factual and that's fair and that's honest. And that, that's how you build trust. I've never burned anybody. I don't, I don't believe in doing that. And I always feel like the games are the stars. The games themselves and the players themselves are the stars. And then you get so many storylines. So you know this, you do a show and how many shows have both of you done producing in the big truck Stanley Cup final Bob, you've done eight, eight million, seven thousand and forty two hundred gazillion shows that you've done. And whether you're talking the Jays or you're talking the Raptors, you've been around and you have those relationships and you see people. So you just try to use your feel and, and be somewhat discerning on what you choose to share and, and how you choose to do it. So now you get to work with, uh, among others, Messier and Tortorella. Um, <laughs> that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I assume you know these guys at least a little bit, yeah, right? I do. I played for Torts. I played for Torts in Tampa, and then uh, he was with us on the NHL Network. I'll share this story too. So, it's probably what are we going back now? About four years ago, five years ago. So, Torts is with us on on um, on NHL Network, and you know we're talking, and he's with us for a couple of weeks and whatever it was, maybe a couple of months. So, the one evening. My, my spidey senses are going off. So, so we get there, we have our pre-show meeting. I'm not one for the pre-show meeting as such. I like to save a lot of the juice for TV and, and radio and podcasts and stuff. So as it turns out, we finished the meeting. It's just Torts and I in there like, Torts, Torts, we got to talk, man. It's like, what's up, Weezy? What's up, Weezy? What do you got? I'm like, Torts, come on, man. What's, I'm hearing you're going to Colombo. What's going on? You're, I'm, oh, Weezy, I don't know about that. There's no way. I don't know where you're hearing that. I don't know who told you. I don't know. I'm like, Torts, 
come on. I played for you. Don't BS me. Don't bullshit me. I, I played for you. Oh, weeks. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I swear to God. So that night we do the show. I get off the air. I go back home. He goes to the hotel. The next day, he's at the studio. And one of my colleagues, unnamed colleagues, is working with him the next night. So Torts is going back and forth. He's going to the restroom and, and commercial breaks. He's going to the restroom. Now, of course, he's checking the phone. Of course. Right? Of course. Next thing you know, Torts ends up getting the job in Columbus. And I'm like, Torts, I, I knew it. I told you. So anyway, I'm going to have a good chuckle with him about that when we have our first uh, ESPN meeting here soon. And then, uh, and then as far as, as Mess, I played with Mess uh, for a bit in Vancouver and got to know him obviously really well. He was super nice to me. And then, you know, being a former Ranger and seeing him at the Garden. And, and uh, I've always been, been a big Mess fan. He, he's got so much experience and so much knowledge and I think as, as long as Mess relaxes and he shows that other side of himself, I think he could be really good at it if uh, if he really wants to. Well, we've had Mess on the program on numerous occasions, and mm -hmm. it, it sort of goes, I don't know, John, if you were in studio with me when, when Messier was in at any mm -hmm. point, but such an he's an interesting guy. There are days where he's very quiet, introverted, um, almost distant. Yeah. And then there are days where he just feels like talking. And uh, that's uh, that's obviously what ESPN wants. They want the latter, not the former. Well, you know what? More, more so than any other player, I think Mark Messier has diversified so much. I mean, mm -hmm. he's got businesses everywhere. He's he's always looking for an opportunity. Um, Mark Mark's a, <laughs> it may be the, Mark's a conglomerate. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, I mean, Listen, he's built a successful hotel in the Caribbean. Uh, he's uh, how many commercials has he been on? He's he's worked on big projects in New York and other places. He's he's in a, a very interesting character uh, beyond the hockey person that we see every day. I totally agree. And it's kind of cool in that I love the way you just kind of the way you crystallize that because he has this unique Canadian roots, Western Canada roots blended with all the stuff here in the US, New York and Caribbean, right? So it's, I can relate to those things for obvious reasons, but what's really cool about that too with Mess is he's, he's a very progressive guy. He's always been very progressive. And you know, what's pretty cool guys because you guys would know this too. I go back to watching him and then as I said, getting a chance to play with him as a young player, but I go back to, to, to speak with the great Glenn Sather too and, and Slats as we know him. And you know, I've, been fortunate to spend some time at his place out there at their place in Banff and I remember we were there with Meg's side of the family and we were out there a couple Christmases ago pre-pandemic and going through Slats's um his own hall of fame if you call it that and you're seeing all the pictures of all the can of cups and all the oiler stuff and everything else all the different team can of stuff and I remember asking him like I'm like Slats what 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 happened here tell me about this tell me about um the Canada Cup at Cops Coliseum. Tell me about that final game. Tell me about that team. And he was just giving me a run through and centered around so much of that. Of course, is, is 99. Of course, the great one. But a, a linchpin for that was mess as well. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realize just the different styles of players, but also the different impact that those two have had on the game. Uh, we always talk about Gretzen and inspiration and helping to foster in the growth of the game in the, in the Southern U.S., but for Mess going 
for mess going to New York, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now. And, and for mess being the lead bull on that amazing team that ended up winning the cup final that did so much for, for our sport it really did with the Rangers. Actually, you got me thinking about, well, about Glenn mm. uh, and, and those two guys playing in for him in Edmonton. Can you imagine Mark Messier not being the number one center on the team? Right. I mean, I mean, and I, I, I can tell you this story for a fact, uh, yeah. uh, Kevin. Kevin is that every once in a while, okay, and th- these are days where Wayne would have three minute shifts. Right. So, right. so, right. so Mark would lean back and look at the coach and say, "Hey, coach, <laughs> when's my turn?" <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not, oh. a, not, not in, not, not in that polite manner, by the way. I could totally, <laughs> totally see it with that Windwell helmet that he had oh, that he sit down boy. here. Boy, like, anyway, it was, it was to, to know that, you know, your number one guy was Gretzky, your number two guy was Messier, right? Your number three guy was McTavish. So, I mean, you're doing okay. Uh, oh. It was, uh, it was a, uh, it was a fascinating group of guys to be around just like the, like the Ranger teams you were around. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And so many of the best players, including them, but, and personalities and, and you know, for somebody like, like Slats, like Glenn with, with all that he's accomplished. And one thing I'll say about Glenn too which is kind of a bigger picture is he was a forefather in a lot of ways in terms of just wanting the best players and the best people in the organization, right? You go back, Edmonton's teams were always diverse. They're still diverse now, but he started that footprint at that time. You know, he had be it Yari Curry, be it Esatikinen, um, Peter Klima from Czech Republic. I mean, you could grant Fuhrer, you can go up and down the list. He had French Canadian players, Western Canadian players, uh, Swedes, Russian. you could be from Mars. If you could exactly. score goals, you could be from Mars to play for Glenn Zather. A hundred percent. Polky Reddick, Walking Gage, Freddie Brathwaite. I mean, you can go up and down the list. So I've always respected that about him too. And naturally you see that with what he's done in New York, but going back to the days long before that was in vogue, so to speak, that's the way the Oilers were built. And I have a ton of respect for him uh, for, for doing that and being that open-minded. We're with Kevin Weeks. We're going to take a quick break and uh, come back with uh, more. Back after these messages. Bob McCowan, John Shannon, and uh, former target uh, Kevin Weeks uh, is with us. And speaking of targets, um, here's a question I don't think I've ever asked, and I've asked a lot of them. Uh, so I, I became a goaltender when, when I started playing hockey. And, and, and the reason was simple. His idol was George Vezina. Yeah, Sick. George Vesna was um yeah. Sick. Well, he was my backup. Anyway, <laughs> so uh <laughs> you know, I'm like 6 years old or whatever and our team couldn't uh, we couldn't win an inter squad game. Sure. And 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 so they rotated the goalies. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a bunch of kids don't know how to skate, don't know how to do anything. And I get my turn in goal and I guess I was pretty good or, sure. or better than the the other dumb 6-year-olds. And so they kept me there. And so now I'm a goaltender. Yeah. But like you, you play hockey, wherever it is, 90% of the players are going to be forwards or defensemen. They're going to be skaters. And that 10% at most are, are goaltenders. What did you start yeah. when you were a kid playing out? And then how did you get to be a goaltender or did you always want to be? Good question. I, really what happened was, playing street hockey with my older cousin Ian and his friends. Some of those guys, he's born 68. Some of them are 67, 6, 5, 70, and I'm born in 75. So, so you're a lot younger. 
I'm a ton younger than these guys and I'm literally a ball chaser. Like when the ball goes into the bushes behind our building, Kevin, go get it, fence, go get it. Like our, <laughs> yeah. go into the chain link fence, go get it. It went down the laneway behind our building off Christie street at the time, go get it. So I took that seriously. And for me, I just wanted to fit in with my older cousin and his friends. And we had this cool mix of kids who everybody's parents were, you know, from Newfoundland, Ireland, Russia, Scotland, Italy, Caribbean, you name it, just off of St. Clair, what St. Clair and Christie in that pocket in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So, so basically I was the ball chaser really. And we had the one goalie whose parents had emigrated from Greece, Lambros, I'll never forget his last name. And we call him, they called him Lambros and he would always be one of the goalies and the other one would rotate. For whatever reason, Lambros's parents, I don't know if it was serendipitous, they ended up moving back to Greece. So they didn't really have anybody that really wanted to play net. Of course, now they're like, okay, Kev, if you want to go in, and I'm six years old. So, you know, these kids are 12, 11, 13, 14, and they're really peppering you with the street hockey ball. You can't even move. You got sponge pads from the garbage from a, a sofa that's been thrown out, right? Yeah. So we cut the small, you know this. And the pads are like up to my waist and I'm spun around and just, it's just kind of a comedy of errors really, but the way everything lined up. And then we go to, uh, to Hillcrest Park just a bit south of us and they would have the outdoor rink beside the tennis courts and I'm out there in winter boots with them and then everybody goes up to St. Mike's Arena to the world famous St. Mike's Arena and they sign up to play house league Toronto Olympics house league <laughs> so once my aunt and uncle let my cousin do it I go home and we lived in the same building at the time and I go to my parents I'm like hey Ian's playing at, he's playing hockey mom and dad can you sign me up can you sign me up and I begged them to sign me up it was $65 for registration at the time and uh, from there, I just, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Like Miss Mahar was our teacher uh, at McMurray Public School. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in grade one slash first grade, I had a book, you know, the first book that you kind of write. And I, I had myself drawn as a goalie with a scoreboard with the NHL shield with a logo in it. And that's really what was like my compass, my North Star. Everything in my life then was about making the NHL and being an NHL goalie. And I was very fortunate that I had that goal that was crystal clear from that young of an age, but it's a unique, it's a unique position, man. I mean, Godfather, your son played uh, and, and, and Bobcat, you played too, as you're saying, it's a real unique demanding position and you put so much on yourself in terms of just expectations and wanting to deliver for your teammates and wanting to perform at a high level. It's all consuming position for sure. No question. Ever get, ever get cut? Uh, only time I got cut I guess if you will say was from what would have been the under 17 team Ontario wow. Wow. under 17 so so we had this we had our team Ontario camp was in uh, the final camp was in Cornwall and I, I had an awesome camp I, I felt great that camp and it, what was, was ironic is we had Chad Lang who played in Peterborough went as an underage goalie we have my man Jamie Storr who mm -hmm went as an underage goalie to Owen Sound, ironically, in which I then the next year end up getting drafted by Owen Sound. And then we had Jeff Soyeko, who's currently the goalie coach for the Red Wings, Detroit, who, uh, who was in the camp as well. A few others, but those were maybe our, our most notable ones. And I felt awesome in this camp. I, everything was what I hoped it would have been. And I remember uh, getting home and seeing this letter and expecting that I'm going to be on Team Ontario playing in the Canada Games and the whole thing. And it didn't happen. Thank you so much for participating. And I was so gutted at the time, but I was like, okay, 
I'm going to effing show them. Okay. And then we went up to Sudbury for uh, the big nickel tournament. We won the tournament. I was goalie of the tournament. And then uh, that was kind of like the first real adversity, if you will, or a huge setback. Yep. As a young player, you have these aspirations and you want to continue accomplishing these things. And that's the first time that that had happened to me at that point. So it was an eye-opening thing. Uh, and then after that, also to expand on the question, you know, going to training camps in the NHL, you're a young goalie, especially in those days, you're not getting a sniff. <laughs> you're not no. getting a sniff. You're not getting a chance. Like it's not happening. You know, I was drafted by the Florida Panthers. I'll always be indebted and grateful to them for developing me. But we had John Van Beesbrook at the time. They had Mark Fitzpatrick at the time. That was the best tandem or the best duo. And there was just no chance. Like I literally had to stand on my head and practice come on extra, do all the things. And I knew for that first three or four training camps that there was no chance that I was going to make it. I was getting sent back to the minor junior and then the minors. So uh, that was humbling. But as I said, it keeps you hungry. It keeps you hungry. It kept me hungry in the gym. It kept me hungry on the ice. And, you know, when you're in the minors or junior going up and down I-95 uh, and I-80 and all these different highways, you're going to play in Hershey. I played in the A, I played in the I. It, it kept me hungry for sure to get there. Do you, 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 you played for, I want to say five or six teams in the NHL? Yeah, te technically seven. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you view yourself as a member of one particular team? Would you call yourself a cane? Would you call yourself a ranger? What would you call yourself? I'd call myself probably, I call myself probably a hybrid, <laughs> but I, but I probably just because so if I you were going, if you had to go to the hall of fame and they said, you had to put a Jersey yeah. on, which one would you put on? I'd put on the canes one. And, and the reason I put the reason I put that on is just it was a special group, and we ended up going to that Cup final in '02. And what was really cool about that is we had great player, obviously Ronnie Francis, Hall of Famer, one of the best to play, who's now the GM of Seattle. Roddy Brindamore, um, one of my favorites to this day, who is a walking, living, breathing example of high performance and commitment as he was as a player, as you see him now as a coach, winning the Jack Adams this year and helping transform that organization in Carolina. Among others, Brett Hedekin, I could go down the name, the name of players, Glenn Wesley, Sean Hill, Archie Irby, my goalie partner, but the best part about that, guys, is that team's success, much like it is now, was founded on old school principles. Mm -hmm. you, know, you hear your parents talk, you hear grandparents, you hear older uncles and aunts and people talk to your grandmas about work ethic and how work ethic is so important and doing the little things right that team was a collection of that. And I literally knew from when I first got traded there from Tampa, my first practice, I'm like, oh, oh my Lord, like everybody's in shape. Everybody's doing all the little details. The practice tempo was so much higher. The attention to detail at that time was higher than Tampa because so many of us were young in Tampa. And uh, I was just, it was a special time. So if I had to say, I would probably say that, I would probably say the Kane just based on us going to a Stanley Cup final in 02. It is intriguing that the most intelligent uh, hockey players are goaltenders. Uh, and oh, I, uh, there's no question about it. Take your time with and, that. And and I don't know whether. <laughs> what was this about? What was this about ego earlier in the show? What was this about? Yeah, ego? We're, we're all we're all members of the goal union. So <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, your kid, right? your kid is obviously a smart kid, in spite of the fact that he was uh, encumbered with the genes that you provided. Oh, but thank goodness, my wife was brilliant. Uh, well, let, well, take a look at the at the broadcasters in the business and historically, and and there's just no question that <laughs> goaltenders are at the top of the list, especially when you understand only ten percent of all hockey players are goaltenders. True, 
you know, Healy sure. was on with us recently. Davidson's yep. a regular with us, and he yep. was a great broadcaster. Millen, Famer. you know, down the list you go, right? Totally. Well, let's, let me, here's the thing. I can only see it through my eyes, but I try to be as objective as possible. And, and you guys would know this. When you play the position, you have to literally account for everything. And you have to get this calculation and make this calculation as everything is coming towards you. So you, most girls and boys and people that play the position starting then at a young age, you're learning to literally dissect and read, read, dissect, uh, compute, and then react. And 95% of the game is, is played in front of you when you're a goalie. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only 5% behind the goal line. Gretz will probably tell you differently because uh, he established well, that. Well, he'd like to have about 80% of it behind the goal line. But... Exactly, which was brilliant because it causes so much confusion. But, uh, but nonetheless, yeah, about 95% of it's played in front of you, right? So you're always calculating what's going on. And you have to account for so many details and nuances and scenarios. So I think naturally just that alone, much like being a quarterback in football, I think that helps lend itself to, to goalies being deeper in terms of their ability to analyze and read and react what's happening in front of them and around them. And it's all about nuances. Like, think about this, okay? So as I sit here, if I take this shoulder for an example, if this shoulder is where it is, that's a goal. If this shoulder is like two degrees forward, that's probably a save. Like that's the margins, right? Like fraction of a second, literally fraction of an inch or or a centimeter. That's, that's the margins. And and, and we live and die with that. That sounds like Benny Allaire to me. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Benoit Allaire is the Rangers goalie guru. He's absolutely fantastic. And, and one of his great protégés was, a man who just retired, Henrik Lundqvist. You got to play with the King. Um, to, what, what was it like to play with Henrik Lundqvist? What'd you learn from him? Honestly, guys, I came out, <clears throat> pardon me, so 0304 um, would have been my platform year, my career best season. We didn't make the playoffs in Carolina that year, but I played 66, 67 games, six whatever shutouts. Like I, Individually, I had a really good year, which sucked because our team didn't perform after going to Stanley Cup final. This is the, the following year. We had this right. huge drop-off. And then, of course, the work stoppage takes place. And I'm expecting, okay, based on that, that year that I had, I'm going to get this contract. Five years, I'll get the Nabokov. You know, I'm looking at your comparables. And, and then, as you guys know all too well, because you, you, you're at the heart of a lot of these negotiations with the CBA between the league and the, and the PA. And believe me, I listened to you. Every day during that period, because I was at home, every day between going to PA meetings at the Harbor Castle, driving back home, being at home, just trying to see what I can hear. And one of the things that I heard from Mike Johnson, Johnny said to me, he's like, we see I'm playing over in Sweden. This goalie's incredible. I'm like, who do you mean? Jose Theodore? He's like, no, 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 no. This Lundqvist guy's incredible, man. I'm telling you. I bet I'm, Jose's over there. He's a league MVP two years ago. He's like, Weeksy, this guy's unbelievable. It's like, I know you signed with the Rangers. I'm just giving you a heads up. This guy's unbelievable. <laughs> so, so, so next thing you know, they go on for Lunda. Henrik played in for Lunda. Johnny played over there uh, during the, the work stoppage. I didn't play because some of us were afraid to play. You don't want to get blackballed. So I'm skating literally with Sudsy, my goalie coach, who's Anaheim's goalie coach. We're skating at Center Ice Arena back home at, at Pharmacy and, and McNichol. 
And finally the year gets canceled and I come to train camp the next year. I'm nowhere near the same goalie I was in that platform year. I hadn't played in a whole year. And even that aside, even if I was playing at that level, this guy from the first day in training camp, I'm like, oh, oh no, this looks real different. Like just looking at him. Remember when Felix came up and you looked at Felix, his stance was different. He held his glove differently. He just looked different to the eye. That was Henrik. And on the ice, he looked different. Off the ice, he looked different. Like this is, this is a different force. And literally I was supposed to be the starter. I played our first few games. Um, and regardless as to what would have happened had I kept playing, this guy was taking this crease over by storm. And that's exactly what happened. He got in. He absolutely nailed it. The fans went bananas. Rager fans were starving for a next version of Ricky of Mike Richter. And, and understandably so. And Henrik knocked it out of the freaking park. And I remember he got a game star and he went and he was clapping like with a stick and clapping. And so like kind of European soccer, European football. And guys, it was transformational. He took over the garden. He took over the crease. He took over the position. He took over the New York and he took over the league. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen very many, if any goalies do that ever. And he was just different and he was wired a certain way. He looked like Rod Stewart. He wore skinny suits. He had the skinny tie. He was super fashionable. And we just really developed this relationship. And I just said to myself, look, I still want to be a valuable member of this team. Let me strive to be the best backup goalie in the league. And when I get in the net, try to play like a starter and give the team the best chance to win and try to support him uh, as a young goalie. And that's the way I approached it. So I'll tell you this too, for a lot of the listeners, because I know they skew in different, different kind of ages, but I talked about work ethic earlier. Everybody looks at Henrik and they look at his suits. They look at the cars. They look at everything him and Ben Waller have accomplished in, in their career was all based on work ethic. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you everything, I mean everything. And long after he got the contracts, long after he had the, the adulation and the standing O's of the garden, He'd be at the practice rink early. They'd be on the ice early together and they'd do it and they'd do it and they'd do it day in, day out, day in, day out. And you know, he's, uh, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend and a close friend. And I'm really proud of everything he's done. Hall of Famer, next up. No, there's no better juxtaposition of Henrik Lundqvist wearing his goalie equipment and Henrik Lundqvist uh, out on the town. Exactly. I, I mean, this totally. guy, I mean, it, this guy was... In my opinion, yeah. it, it, he was built for New York. Totally built, for, built for New York. I mean, Big time. God, it, 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 was there some of us just dream? Yes, that looked it, like it Henrik Lundqvist off. for three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it dripped off him, and it still does. Like that's funny you say that. Here's so so, and what's crazy about that is with those level of performers, and we talked about Mess and Gretz and Ronnie Francis and some of these other amazing, you know, Hall of Famers and best to ever do it and I was so privileged to play with a lot of them and Henrik being one of them because he's a surefire guy as is Luongo who I played with early in his career and I got to tell you something man with with Henrik specifically last year I didn't even know he was having heart surgery this is something for the listeners I hadn't I knew that I knew that he was going through a rough patch with the heart I didn't know he was he had open heart surgery guys I'm going to tell you this now this is about 42 days after him getting open heart surgery. So I'm texting. I'm like, King, how are you doing? King, how are you feeling? Let me know if you need anything. What can I do? What can I give? I literally went online. Italy, I love Italy. Uh, 
Italy grocery store, high-end Italian grocery store in New York. They're around the world. So I, I go on Italy's website. I order a bunch of stuff for him and Teresa and the kids, get it sent to the house as a gift for him getting back home and them getting back home as they would have been at Cleveland Clinic for the surgery. I didn't even know the extent of the surgery. 42 days post-op. I see this fool, and I say that lovingly. I see him post this video on Instagram about him on the ice and goalie yeah. game. Yeah. Off of open heart surgery. Yeah. So honest to God, I start ringing his, I'm like ring his line on his cell, ring and ring, ring. Finally, he ends up, he's like, Hey, Weeksy cat. What's up, buddy? What's going on, brother? What's up? I'm like me. What the hell? Didn't you just have surgery? What the <laughs> frick are you doing on the ice? He's like, Oh, I just, I just got to see where I'm at. I got to, I just got to just get a feel. I want to get the feeling, see where I'm at. I'm like, see where you're at. You had open heart surgery. I swear to God. I go, where are you skating here in Metro New York? Where? <laughs> so he tells me the location. It's a private rink. He tells me the location that he's skating at. I said, I'm coming there. He goes, you're coming? I go, I'm coming. So literally before I leave our house in Jersey, he calls me back. He's like, hey, man, do you have your skates and stick? I'm like, oh, Lord. Okay, yeah, I've got them. So now I bring my goalie skates. I bring some player gloves, a track suit. I get to this undisclosed rink, this private rink in Metro New York. It's, I, I can't give too much away. I get to the rink. He comes to the door. He comes straddling up to this private entrance. He's like, Weeksy Cat, what's up? I'm like, King, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I'm skating. Yeah, come on. Uh, I only have one shooter, so I need you. I need you here with me today. I need you to come on the ice. I'm like, oh, my Lord. Anyway, I go on the ice, guys. He looks, he looks the exact same. He looks like the King. The same mm -hmm. Hall of Fame technique, edge control, pushes, timing, everything. So he's wearing his heart rate monitor because he's only able to get his heart rate up to a certain level. And I'm telling you right now, for all the big moments that I had playing with him and watching him deliver, for all the games as a broadcaster, analyst, and going in the garden and standing in the corner and watching him stand in his head, nothing was more impressive to me than what I saw from him coming out of heart surgery. That and that really, in essence is part of what makes him great, really. Um, we, had, we have other things that we want to talk to you about, and, including the NHL's working. diversity program, but we're, 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 we're tight on time. So let's, let's, do, let's do this again and not in the not-too-distant future, if you're okay with it. We'll do it next week if you want. I'm around. <laughs> you're paying, though. That patio, you're, that patio that you said you were at yesterday – I don't know where you were, but you're paying for that Bobcat. That, that'll be on you for this next one. There you you're go. Here. There you we're go. We're on. <laughs> uh, listen, thanks, pal. Great stories. Great talking to you. Nice to see you. And um, uh, continued good health. Be safe down there in Florida. You know, all those, all those Republicans not getting their shots. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate having you on. Stay, stay healthy and safe. I'm, I'm happy to jump on. Godfather, just message me. We can do it next week if you want. Just let me know. Yeah. We'll talk. All right, thanks, thanks pal. Thank you. Kevin Weeks, back to wrap it after these messages. McCowan and Shannon, back with you, and our thanks again to Kevin Weeks uh, for uh, joining us on the program. Um, hmm. He's a good storyteller. He sure is. And he, he found uh, the right stage to uh, continue his career uh, within the NHL. He's, uh, he's done some really good things. You, you touched on it about uh, he's, he's got a big role in diversity in the National Hockey League. He's, he's, he's trying hard. Um, and w w I think everybody ad agrees that uh, the more inclusive the game can be, the better off the game will be. Well, I didn't want to shortchange him. And no. um, I know that that can be a, uh, 
um, a, a rather lengthy conversation, um, and we'll do that. Um, and in the not too distant future, we'll have uh, Kevin back with us. Uh, we'll turn to baseball tomorrow. We think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And because um, I know you need baseball, Bob. Well, we only have well a couple of months left of the baseball season. Include if you include the World the Playoffs and the World Series. You know, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll address that tomorrow to close close out the week. And for those that um, are not aware, um, the following week, uh, if you are a regular subscriber to the podcast, um, our esteemed producer Hugh McClarty mm -hmm. will be uh, sending out some best ofs as we take our first week off ever after a <laughs> year of doing this. It's only a year, Bob? <laughs> only a year of doing this. It's more than a year being together. And um, Lord knows I remember every bleeping day. You don't remember yesterday. Who was on yesterday? That's right. <laughs> uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCowan, have yourselves a nice day. And we'll uh, see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody.